Hi everybody, this is Rob Reed. I'm going to give a talk today about uh, the management of uh, ARDS and in particular COVID-related lung disease uh, as it pertains to the use of steroids. I have no disclosures. I have not been uh, bought out by big steroid. So here's a study and this one I, I'm sort of presenting as a straw man argument here. Uh, there were a lot of publications early in the pandemic that were of relatively uh, low value in terms of the, the quality of the uh, data, and um, I'm, I'm presenting this one as an example of such. Um, there was a lot of enthusiasm for getting a lot of conversation going, and unfortunately, a lot of people uh, acted upon data that was really more hypothesis-generating in nature. This was a, a study that was published in JAMA, and it was a retrospective cohort study. It included 200 patients uh, that were shown to have COVID pneumonia um, early in the pandemic. And the uh, nature of the data was retrospective. <clears throat> and this was, you can see on the uh, left side of this Kaplan-Meier, this was really only uh, 84 patients uh, that, that had uh, ARDS that uh, were either treated with methylprednisolone or didn't receive it. And if, if you look at this um, graph here, you can, you can see that the patients that got uh, methylprednisolone seemed to do better. Now, um, you look at that and you say, oh, mission accomplished, maybe, ta-da. But that's really not the case. Uh, th this paper did suggest that steroids played a beneficial role and, and might be useful, uh, but this is retrospective data. And the problem with retrospective data are exemplified here. You, know, you can see uh, a partial picture, but unless you do a true randomized placebo-controlled trial, uh, the way things look is not always exactly the way that they truly are. And um, we'll get into that in a little bit more detail. There are a variety of biases that uh, insert themselves into observational studies, and I think we're all aware of it, but the true magnitude of the effect of these biases and how they can really skew the results, we often forget. And uh, there is selection bias that plays a big role, particularly in the studies uh, such as the one that I presented before and many of the studies that are going to exist, particularly in the COVID literature that came out early. And then there's this idea of immortal time bias, and that's that's an interesting bias to consider, and it's uh, it's particularly important to realize and understand what it is in in that both of these, uh, but particularly immortal time bias, is, is consistently going to create the spurious appearance of a drug benefit when actually the, the drug could be harmful. Immortal time bias is something that we can talk about uh, and clarify quite easily. You'll become an expert in the next 30 seconds. This is a, a depiction, a graphical depiction of, of time in a retrospective study, and you can see that there is a group of people um, in the intervention arm 
who uh, have this uh, different colored time that's labeled here as immortal time. And the immortal time indicates that they really have to survive that period of time in order to receive the intervention at all. And the people who died before the time period where they could have received the intervention, uh, in a retrospective analysis, remember this is not prospective randomized, but in a retrospective analysis, all the early deaths are subsequently uh, find themselves um, assigned to the no intervention arm. So if you wanted to intervene, if you wanted to give a patient uh, an intervention, a drug, a surgery, a treatment, whatever, and they die before you can get it, in a retrospective analysis, they didn't get it. And uh, that, that's a big difference between intention to treat and a retrospective study like this. And it would, it would give you the appearance that anything you do is beneficial. So to drive that home and to really show you how it works, we'll go through a numerical example. This is an example I've, I've presented before in a different context, but it's worth uh, going through again. Let's pretend there are a thousand very sick patients, uh, and this is uh, particularly um, pertinent in this COVID pandemic. And our intervention today is cyanide coffee. It's poison, it, it, it doesn't do you any good, it kills people. But in this example, these are sick patients and half of them die early. And this is before you could even get around to giving anyone your, your treatment with this cyanide coffee. 500 patients remain and of these 500, you're able to get 400 of the patients onto the cyanide coffee. And this other 100 of patients, uh, three out of four of them live. And uh, that's just, yeah, the nature of the disease, whatever this disease may be. Now the cyanide coffee, three out of four die. It is poison, it kills you. But if you do a retrospective analysis and you don't incorporate any controls over immortal time bias, these early 500 deaths are examined in the arm of people that didn't get the intervention because they didn't get the intervention. And if you look at the, the total mortality, uh, in those terms, then the, the arm that did not get the cyanide coffee showed an 88% mortality, whereas poisoning people with the cyanide coffee uh, resulted in a 75% mortality. This would indicate that, oh, maybe cyanide coffee is a good thing um, when we know that it clearly is not. So how about randomized controlled trials? Uh, the big question about randomized controlled trials as it pertains to the topic today is generalizability. Is it fair to uh, expand from the people that uh, the, the study actually looked at to the people that you're actually interested in? And here's, here's a simple definition here. Ability to apply observations or findings to a different population scenario than directly studied, yeah. Um, as an example of this, I'll go into a beta blocker study uh, involving um, uh, some trial data that, that I was involved in. Uh, this, uh, this is a, uh, the question here was whether beta blockers are useful in heart failure, and we know that they are. We know that they are based on all of these different studies. Here's five major randomized placebo-controlled trials uh, involving the administration of beta blockers to people with heart failure. And they all showed benefit, but here's 
a, a, an interesting thing to point out is that um, COPD was not really captured in these studies. And so uh, a group of investigators that I was uh, fortunate to be a part of um, went on to study the idea that COPD is, uh, is maybe a different beast. And um, our results showed that there was a signal for harm. People that were admitted to the hospital, or rather people that developed COPD exacerbations actually did worse if they were randomized to placebo uh, rather than, um, I'm sorry, back up. They did worse if they were randomized to beta blocker than if they were randomized to placebo. Uh, they didn't have more exacerbations, but they did seem to uh, have a worse experience when they did have an exacerbation. And that's a little tiny disclaimer to say, I know this is a stretch, but it allows me to reiterate the fact that I published a New England Journal. Um, so the question uh, pertinent to what we're talking about today is, is steroids and ARDS. And this was studied a long time ago uh, by a colleague, uh, a couple of colleagues here in Baltimore. I, uh, Roy Brower and Carl Shanholtz uh, were some of the investigators on, on this study. And the question that, that was looked at in this uh, well-designed and well-conducted uh, trial of steroids in late ARDS was whether the uh, administration of steroids would, would prompt improvement. And the rationale was that there were a number of observational studies that did suggest benefit. And the reason they looked at late ARDS was that there had been a few uh, small uh, prior studies that for early ARDS that didn't show benefit. And so they, they looked at high dose, relatively high dose, short courses of steroids. And uh, they published the, back in 2006 after uh, enrolling and randomizing 180 patients. The, the key factors here were that to enroll in this, uh, the, the patients, the study participants, had to have had at least seven days of ARDS. And the regimen that they gave was, was down there. It was two migs per kg once, and then, and then they gave a half mig per kg for 14 days, uh, every six hours, and then every 12 hours for a week after that, and then they tapered it on down. Here was a characteristics of the study population, and they broke it down into the uh, uh, the total population as well as the the, the window after onset of illness uh, in which they were randomized, because they did seem to find later on that there was a difference between the people who were at one to two weeks uh, versus uh, those participants that were entered into this study beyond two weeks from the onset of their ARDS. And what you'll notice here is that viral pneumonias are, are probably underrepresented. There is pneumonia here. Uh, the majority of these pneumonias uh, were, were probably bacterial in nature. Um, in terms of the results, I, I found the 180-day results most compelling, so I'm presenting them here. And you can see that, uh, that there was um, uh, no difference in mortality at all here, um, really not even a signal for it. P-value of one is a fairly compelling negative. The number of vent-free days does meet the p-value of 0.04, and it does favor the use of methylprednisolone. Um, 
The other factor here to look at is the number of serious adverse events associated with myopathy or neuropathy predictably and understandably strongly favors uh, the group that received the steroid, and, and that, that jives with what we all observe. So the conclusions here were that there's harm when giving steroids after 14 days, and that was an interesting subgroup analysis. Uh, where you can see that the patients that were enrolled in the study after that 14-day period uh, really did seem to do worse, uh, whereas the patients that were enrolled between week one and two of their symptoms, there was a, a statistical trend towards benefit associated with the administration of, of steroids. So the steroid advocates look at this and they say, well, maybe this was the wrong dose, maybe it was the wrong timing, uh, and we move on to uh, what's been called the Maduri Protocol. Uh, Dr. Maduri published a couple of papers, um, and this, this is the one uh, that I'm presenting here, <clears throat> and it, it uh, purports a low dose of methylprednisolone and an early utilization of it uh, within 72 hours of the, the onset of ARDS. And there were 91 patients with a two to one randomization. The two to one randomization, you might scratch your head and say, what's the value of that? There's no statistical advantage. Really what that usually suggests is that there is uh, imperfect equipoise on the part of the uh, uh, study investigators in terms of thinking that the, the, uh, the study drug or treatment is, is of value. So key aspects to the study, there were meticulous efforts to, towards infection surveillance, and there was also a, um, a, a lot of attention paid to the avoidance of paralysis because the perception was that paralysis and steroids was really going to drive neuromuscular uh, deterioration in an unfavorable way. And, and that, I think, is a consensus belief that, that most intensivists currently hold. Uh, the dose was lower than the ARDSnet paper that I presented before. Here, here's the specific dose. It was a mig per kg per day for 14 days, and then a half a mig per kg for a week after that, and then a quarter uh, for the subsequent week. And if a patient is extubated, they kind of advance to that day 15, the 0.5 dose. Notably, uh, two-thirds of patients in this study came into it with sepsis-induced ARDS. Um, that's probably a, a, a worthwhile point to emphasize. In terms of the outcomes, this was a positive study. Uh, methylprednisolone um, versus placebo, you can look at the uh, uh, results here and the p-values for all these different outcomes. Uh, were significant, and the, uh, the results across the board uh, consistently favor the use of the methylprednisolone. It's a relatively small study, and it deserves some replication. Um, duration of mechanical ventilation and length of stay in the ICU mortality uh, all continue to show uh, benefits in, in favor of the use of methylprednisolone. How about infectious complications? That's one of our great concerns when we use steroids in 
in ARDS or in the intensive care unit in general, and particularly when we're considering COVID, which is a, uh, uh, a, a virus that until remdesivir showed some benefit, really had no, uh, no direct antiviral therapy that, that would shorten the length of bacteremia and viremia, rather. And, uh, and it seems to be complicated by a lot of superimposed secondary infections. And, um, and the, the question of, uh, of this treatment um, worsening infectious outcomes is a major concern particularly in light of prior experience uh, with viral pneumonias and uh, prolonged shedding associated with, uh, with uh, steroid use. This is interesting results here though. You see that in the methylprednisolone versus placebo, that there is considerably more infection associated with placebo. And, and that just doesn't make a lot of uh, mecha mechanistic sense. The plausibility of this is difficult to wrap your brain around. Here's my thought on it. Um, I think that steroids are a fever suppressing agent. And so if you give steroids, you have fewer fevers. And if you have fewer fevers, you draw fewer cultures. And if you have fewer cultures, you have fewer infections. I, I think that uh, it, by virtue of masking a lot of the symptomatology around infection, such as fever and, and such as the, the, the objective data collected to uh, define infection, uh, we are more often uh, uh, identifying and, and, and calling someone infected um, if they're not on steroids. How about replication? This was a study that came out fairly recently. Um, this was a study, they actually halted the study early at 88% of their targeted enrollment. Uh, it was 277 early ARDS and a one-to-one -one randomization of dexamethasone. And um, this is a fairly uh, reasonable dose of dexamethasone. This would be um, analogous, I suppose, to the Maduri protocol, um, but using dexamethasone. And uh, the reason that they halted the enrollment of this study and stopped it early was because enrollment was very, very slow. They, they enrolled between, I think, 2013 and 2018, uh, and it, it took many years uh, to get uh, this 277 patients in, even though they had quite a few studies in their network, and or quite a few study sites in their network, that is. Here are the results. Um, they're, again, favorable. A fairly strong p-value in favor of a shorter uh, uh, amount of ventilator time with the um, dexamethasone group. Uh, the, the mortality rate was higher in the control group and the p-value is significant there. So this, uh, this adds further um, support for what Maduri and colleagues showed in the earlier uh, study is, is that in these uh, patients that are somewhat selected, it, it was uh, the difficulty enrolling in these studies should really make you take pause and, and think about generalizability here, but uh, there is definite plausibility and now replicated benefit showing uh, early use of steroids is beneficial in, in ARDS. 
um, when you think of ARDS as a, 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 a clustered entity. Um, here's the uh, uh, Kaplan-Meier of survival, and you can see that that's, uh, that's a meaningful difference between dexamethasone and control. Is it generalizable to COVID? That's the question here. And the number of COVID patients in these trials is zero. And, and is ARDS from viral pneumonia what was studied in the prior studies? And it really wasn't. It, 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 uh, it could absolutely be that um, viral pneumonias are a distinct entity and that they might, um, they might have a very different outcome than other forms of ARDS, such as a pancreatitis or sepsis or uh, aspiration pneumonia, things with an, uh, an immediate inciting event that leads to uh, inflammation that gets out of control, and, and maybe the steroids can intervene at that moment. I think it's not fair to say that uh, COVID is just like other ARDS. It's, it's really not. It was a distinct phenotype that was uh, identified early in, uh, in China, and, and they, the reason they recognized that this COVID thing was a thing is because it was so different than a lot of the other people that were coming in with other types of illnesses. It is different, and, and uh, I, I think that as we get to know this entity more, um, you know, we, we don't try to think of it as uh, something magical and different, but it is a viral uh, illness that, that, that causes very severe um, ARDS, and, um, and it, it, it's a, an essentially untreatable uh, viremia. Um, remdesivir, again, has some data to support. Uh, shortening the stay, but uh, there would be plausible and mechanistic reasons that we would worry about uh, the administration of immunosuppressive medications in, in this uh, setting. And so it, it may be beneficial, it may be harmful, and, and only time will tell. Um, so how about the guidelines? What do the experts think about steroids in this setting? Um, there are questions about generalizability. And, and I think I've, I've kind of uh, emphasized that a bit here. Um, the SCCM guidelines uh, currently, as of mid-June 2020, provide a, kind of a, 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 a soft positive recommendation for the administration of steroids when given in the appropriate early context of ARDS in COVID. CDC makes no recommendation. They just acknowledge that the data are insufficient. Uh, to, to say anything intelligent. Um, IDSA guidelines suggest that we do not give uh, steroids. And they, they say that unless you're doing it within the, within the context of a clinical trial, uh, then don't do it. And this, I think this is a good reflection of, of equipoise. They, they uh, do acknowledge that, that there may be advantage or value, and so it should be studied but they recognize that, um, that there, uh, despite the data that I've presented here, uh, other data do suggest the potential for harm. And um, the World Health Organization uh, comes out um, against the, the utilization of, of steroids in, in COVID-related ARDS currently. And the reason that they come out against it is based on these studies. Uh, there are a number of studies that have come out um, 
uh, of varying quality, uh, but they have um, raised some concerns that in the specific context of a viral pneumonia, uh, the administration of steroids may do more harm than good. And uh, that's where we currently stand in our understanding of, of this disease and, and the illness. Uh, there is certainly um, a rationale to go either way with steroids. Uh, when steroids are to be used, it would be wise to stick with uh, the Maduri or the DEX dosing regimens and to do so cognizant of the risk benefit in a particular patient. If a particular patient is deemed to be higher risk for side effects of those steroids, uh, there is is uh, potential to tip you away from using the steroids at all. And, uh, and if it looks like someone who would have an additional um, added value, such as um, presser refractory hypotension, then steroids would be um, a, a very rational approach to use in, in that context. Hopefully we'll get more data in the future, and, and this will be a, a question that's completely put to bed. But this is where we stand currently in mid-June of 2020. So just after I completed this PowerPoint presentation, there were the results of an important study were released. Uh, the study was called Recovery. It's a trial out of uh, the United Kingdom. And what it examined was uh, the role of dexamethasone for the treatment of COVID patients. It studied six milligrams of dexamethasone given for 10 days. And it randomized with an S because it was uh, British, uh, 2,000 plus dexamethasone patients versus over 4,000 uh, who received usual care. This was an open label randomization, uh, highest quality data that we, we have currently. And it showed survival benefit in the vented patients. Uh, this is a rate ratio of 0.65, powerful p-value. Uh, the number needed to treat here to save a life is eight. There was also a survival benefit in hypoxemic patients, but there was a trend towards harm in the non-hypoxemic patients. Uh, this study likely ends the debate about whether steroids should or should not be used and who they should and should not be used in in this, uh, in this context.